All right, welcome back to another episode of The Shadows of Jesus. Today, I'm joined by the one and only... Carter Wine. Carter Wine. So normally, you're behind the camera. Yep. Twisting knobs, making sure the sound works. Yeah. Today, I'm making another guest appearance. Yeah, maybe a, a few more before we wrap this thing up. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I know people always comment, like, I love when Carter's on. So I know people really appreciate your insight and your thoughts. So yeah. thanks for jumping well, on, man. Glad to be here. Well, today, Mark... So um, before we jump into Mark, just a, a couple of thoughts. One is, um, what, which Gospels are synoptic? Maybe people have heard that term, the synoptic Gospels. Yeah, that's uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? And so why, why are they called synop- synoptic Gospels? Because um, they're all similar, right? Yeah. Synoptic, they're, similar. They're very similar. And so the first one that would have been written would have actually been Mark. And so Mark was written. So I think, you know, writing research papers at the end, you have to have your work cited page. Mm-hmm. Matthew and Mark, Matthew and Luke would both have to cite Mark. So we get a lot of the same information, just more details with Matthew, more details with Luke. But a lot of the source comes from this. Um, the author is John Mark. And do you know who, do you, you know who he was a traveling companion of? I believe it was Peter. Yeah, so he was hanging out with Peter, but you have that whole fight scene in Acts. Well, I guess we'll get to that later in the podcast. But mm-hmm. um, and so he's 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 the right hand dude to Peter, and so most scholars believe that this is probably Peter's information just recorded by by John Mark, and so Mark yeah. is writing it down, and um, and it's a quick hitting book. It's the shortest one, yeah. so the first and the shortest. Um, one commentator said it was breathless, like someone talking and never catching their breath mm-hmm. over 40 times. You hear the word immediately. Um, any, any thoughts to why it's so short? Yeah. Um, so I've heard it said that it's possible that Mark's gospel is directed specifically towards the Romans. And so there's a, a bit of difference between the way that Jewish people think and Romans who are more like us um, think. So with the Jewish people, they would have, been concerned about the experience of gaining the knowledge. So you read like Matthew, um, and some things seem a little bit cloudy, but there's a lot of reference to Old Testament scripture yeah. that it hinges on. And then with Mark being to Rome, to the Romans, with the Romans thinking more in terms of just get me to the point, just tell me exactly what you want me to know, tell me exactly what you want me to see. Um, it's all this like boom, 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 really fast, yeah, straight to the point. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. I love it. Um, so once you, once you see the immediately and the fast moving parts, you can't unsee it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like every time you're going to see the word immediately, you're like, ah, there it is again. Yeah. It feels like one of those, um, YouTube videos where, uh, it's like Shrek, but every time Shrek says this, it gets two times faster. And so by the end you're like flying through the whole thing in like seven minutes. Yeah. That's like that's that's what it feels like to me. Like every time immediately happens, it like speeds up. Yeah, it feels faster. Ramps up. Yeah. Um, So you can break Mark up in in two parts or three parts. I like the two part strategy. So the two part strategy or two part breakdown is chapters one through eight is is the first half, which really focuses in on the question who is Jesus, and then after chapter eight, there's this turning point, this hinge, and it starts begin to focus on what did Jesus come to do or what did Jesus do. So let's just talk about chapters one through eight, and then we'll get to the the hinge. We'll get to the turning point and make that shift. Um, so what, what does verse one say? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Yeah. So the beginning, I think we can easily move past that and like, all right, let's get on to the information. But if, if I wasn't in the book of Mark and we were talking spiritual matters and I just said in the beginning, you'd think about what? Genesis. Genesis, yeah. yeah. And so I, the beginning is, is a very important word cueing us in or letting us know that the gospel is about a new beginning. It's mm-hmm. it's about new creation and what God's doing to make things right in the world again or to, to restore things back to the way they were meant to be. Um, so we don't want to move too quickly from the idea of the beginning. Um, but another thing that that we have is verses 14 and 15, which is continuing to talk about this gospel. And so what, what do verses 14 and 15 say? Yeah. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Yeah, so the, the book of Mark is about the gospel, and the gospel is about kingdom. So some big themes in it are the gospel, the kingdom, repentance, and belief. And so what, is, what, what does gospel literally mean? Good news. Good news. And do you know, do you, do you know like how um, gospel would have been used um, during this time for like military victories? Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. Um, I think my frame of reference is like a new king and a new kingdom specifically, yeah. like using it, announcing the, like, especially like the Romans are here. Yeah. Your new peace and new. I said all these, these heralds of this message, yeah. the gospel and say, but like, yeah. So if there was a new kingdom where a change, a herald would go forth and pronounce yeah. a gospel. And so, like, yeah, so th- this is very, very big that Jesus is announcing a new kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking back to the old Testament, you know, cause ultimately like the, this old Testament was pointing us towards Christ. So the whole shadows of Jesus, what was the old Testament pointing towards when we think about kingdom, um, we could probably go back to to Second Samuel seven. Do you remember what what Second Samuel seven did? The covenant with David. What 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 God tells David? Um, yeah, He says, "And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before Me. Your throne shall be established forever." Yeah, it's like so. We know like the Messiah is going to come from whose lineage? The line of David. Yeah, and so this yeah. like there's going to be this new king, and so we, we're looking towards or for a new king, a reestablishment of a kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting uh, also just in Daniel two. Remember the statue of Nebu- like the Nebuchadnezzar dream? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah and all so, the different materials. Yeah, and so yeah. eventually, like the statue falls, and what makes it fall? Uh, wasn't it a rock? A stone. And so, like, so we see all these kingdoms: the 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 Babylonians, the Persians, Greece, Rome, collapsing um, in this stone. You know, knocking them all down, and the stone becomes a kingdom. Yeah. And the stone fills gradually over the course of time, fills the earth and establishes a new kingdom. And then what's mm-hmm. crazy is J- Jesus in Luke chapter 20, we're not in Luke yet, he identifies as the stone. Yeah. So Jesus is this kingdom. And so so the kingdom he's talking about is like, he's like, hey, the Old Testament was pointing toward this new kingdom that was going to fill the earth. Mm-hmm. And now he's announcing the gospel. He's announcing a new kingdom. So we see like he's the fulfillment of the David covenant. He's the fulfillment of the, yeah. the dream that Daniel interprets that Nebuchadnezzar had. Um, but when people are looking for a kingdom, like what, what do you think the original audience during Jesus's time would have been expecting when they hear kingdom? Yeah. I think they were definitely expecting that Rome was going to be completely overthrown and you'd have quite literally the new Israel empire. Yeah. It was, it was I think we were in Matthew thinking about the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus announces the kingdom is at hand, mm-hmm. like people are gathering to him at that point, expecting a military movement. Like yeah. that's like a call. They're like, we're ready to fight. Yeah. <laughs> like his earliest followers were ready to take up arms to go and overthrow mm-hmm. the Romans. Um, yeah. Which I think like understanding that what they were expecting was a new kind of empire. I think that's important because like the, one of the main threads in the Bible is the difference between empire and shalom, right? Mm. This people massing power for themselves versus God putting things back to order. So restoring creation. Yeah. And so what they're expecting is what they're used to all of this power, amassing wealth and trampling on people. But what God's trying to do is come back in and say, no, I want to put this back to how it should have been. Yeah. How it's always supposed to be. That's good. Yeah. So much of scripture is about two kingdoms, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of brings us so that we know kingdom is being established here. Um, Jesus is going to be the fulfillment, what it, the kingdom of the old Testament was pointing towards, but to understand what this kingdom is going to be like, we need to understand repentance. And so what do you know what repentance means? Yeah. I think specifically it's to make a 180, like to turn back to something. Yeah, so, so turning, in this turning context, from turning something from and turning, to, and turning something. to God. Yeah, Yeah. so in, in relation to sin, yeah, turning from sin, turning towards holiness. Yeah. And I think even saying like specifically turning from sin back to God, right? Yeah. Where we sh- should have had our focus. Yeah, that's good. And so repentance is like showing us that entrance into this kingdom is about turning from sin and turning towards God. So there's something about this kingdom, which is about freeing us or liberating us, not just from earthly powers. It's not about, hey, I want to get you out of the Roman oppression, um, but it's like, no, I've come to to rescue you from 
a spiritual darkness, a spiritual power, the power of, of sin. And so this kingdom is about reversing the effects that sin has in the world. So as we get to mm-hmm. the miracles, we're going to see a lot of reversing. Yeah, That's what I think when we talk about miracles, so often we see them as a um, disruption to natural order. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, like God steps into natural order and he disrupts it because he does something that we should, that's not normal. Um, if it was normal, we wouldn't call it a miracle, you know, um, right. but yeah. really like another way of thinking of it is a restoration mm-hmm. of natural order that like, there weren't supposed to be natural disasters. There weren't supposed to be um, diseases. There wasn't supposed to be death. And so all these miracles are, are basically saying, like, you know, like, I'm trying to restore, I'm showing you what the world was meant to be like without mm-hmm. the, so reversing the effects yeah. of sin in the world. Um, so, so this kingdom is going to be not a military movement. It's, it's much bigger in scope. It's mm-hmm. not about earthly powers. It's about the spiritual powers of, of darkness, spiritual powers of sin. And so that kind of brings us to the two big questions of Mark or the two halves. So the first half, who is Jesus or who is the Messiah? And the second half, what did Jesus come to do or, or how will Jesus defeat sin and free us from its power? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, before we move on um, to kind of some, some other chapters, could you, could you read, so, so, so Jesus calls his first disciples and, and the miracles start. We kind of already alluded to the miracles and what their purpose yeah. is, but read, read verses 21 and 22. Yeah. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Yeah. Um, like, I just thought about this. So last summer when I got to go to Israel, like, I, I don't know what I thought like these towns were, but like, so if you're in Johnson city, and um, and let, let's say you walk out to to Main Street in Rhone, and you look towards what's the German restaurant called? Freiburg's. Freiburg's, mm-hmm. like and it's like that. Like <laughs> basically, Capernaum is like from from Rhone Street to Freiburg's. Yeah, like it's, it's all <laughs> super close. <laughs> so you always thought these towns were real big. It's like it's like you you walk into Capernaum and you're like, oh, that's the end. Like yeah. You're kind of like looking down at the end of it. And you're like, that's yeah. Anyways, it's like stand on a hill and you're like, oh, there's that place and that one and that yeah, one. So it's kind of kind of interesting sitting here thinking about that. Is like as Jesus went into Capernaum, I'm like, I've been there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I, something that's interesting is is like I, I love that they're they're astonished. They see him as the one who has authority. Um, I was reading a book on Mark and it talked about how, you know, the scribes were interpreters of the law. So they, they, they told you what they thought the law meant. But when it says that Jesus had authority, he's not seen as an interpreter of the law, but the author of the law, which I just, I think that's really, that's a cool yeah. thing. Um, yeah. So, but moving on, here, here's a question. Um, when Jesus starts casting out demons, and starts healing people, which is pretty quick into the book because Mark's a quick book. It seems like he doesn't want to be too explicit about who he is. Like when he, when he casts out, like before he casts out the demon, what does the demon say? He's like, I know who you are. Yeah. The Holy one of God. And he's like, shh. Yeah. (laughs) Don't say anything. Shut your mouth. Um, And then when he, when he heals the blind guy, he's like, don't tell anybody Mm -hmm. anything. And uh, like any thoughts to why Jesus is like, don't tell people. Like, it seems confusing. Like, why would he, like, yeah. hey, don't tell people who I am. I almost wonder if there's, like, an element of, like, if this is for Roman people, an understanding that, like, Christianity and even Judaism, at this, because Christianity wouldn't really have existed in, in its form that it does now, but that it wasn't an approved or an official legal religion. Yeah. That there's this element of, you know, what he's doing as a Jewish person, right, can stir up a lot of trouble and possibly could even lead to like getting killed. Yeah. That's good, good. That's very well um possibility there. So um and uh, something I, I heard someone else say was that at this point Jesus is more focused on quality over quantity. So he could have broadcasted who he was and got more mm-hmm. qu- quantity of people, but he was really focusing in on a, a, a select few. It's like, Hey, if I get like, if I get people who are s- completely in just a yeah. few people that are completely in, we can change the world versus a, a thousand people that are half in. So I'd rather have, so, um, I don't know, something, something else that was interesting that, that maybe that, he's looking for people who aren't just in it because that he healed them. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm um, just looking for something. So here, as I was running this morning, I was thinking about that question, and um, and so who knows if this makes any sense because I was winded and didn't have a lot of oxygen to the brain. <laughs> but um, but the point of all of the miracles in the first half of Mark, they're not to prove Jesus's divinity. 
Like, which I would say that's where I would have landed in the past. I would mm-hmm. be like, yeah, like the miracles prove Jesus is divine. Uh-huh. But people in the Old Testament perform miracles. Right. Like Moses performed miracles, Elijah performed miracles. And so, like, we don't look at that like that was for them to prove their divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I think because he was divine, he was able to perform miracles, you know, but, but I don't think that was the purpose of them. Um, I was, I'm wondering if the, the purpose of the miracles aren't to answer the question who he is. Like, every miracle is meant to help us answer the question for ourselves. Um, and so the Old Testament, like the miracles were pointing towards Jesus and he's mm-hmm. like, hey, like, yeah, like, I'm the fulfillment of all that. So like, in the Old Testament, we're like, hey, we're looking for someone who's going to heal the blind, who's going to give, um, you know, the ability to hear to the deaf, who's going to raise the dead. And so every miracle he's saying like, I'm the one the Old Testament is pointing towards. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. And so, so I wonder if, if the miracles are more for the purpose not to, um, we shouldn't read the miracles and read like, hey, where's my miracle? Right, but to read it, it's like, how does this reveal another aspect of who Jesus is as a fulfillment of what the Old Testament was pointing towards, of mm-hmm. what the other miracle workers like Moses and Elijah were pointing towards? So, yeah, um, I don't know. Anyways, anything else in chapter one? I don't think so. <laughs> There's like one chapter down. We'll move quicker <laughs> yeah. through some other ones. Chapter two, that the big story for me that I think is, has always stood out to me is the paralytic, mm-hmm. and um, and so I think like more so than the miracles. <clears throat> Proving Jesus's divinity, I think Jesus claiming the ability to forgive sin mm-hmm. is the is the proof of divinity there, or the right. the divine claim. And and I think it's just interesting. Why did he forgive this sin before healing? And I love that rhythm. And mm-hmm. I think Jesus is showing us, like, hey, like, hey, I'm not here just to be a miracle worker. I'm ultimately here to be your savior and to save right. you from sin, which gets us back to the purpose of the kingdom, which is for a greater purpose than physical powers mm-hmm. or or things, but spiritual, but yeah. any, any other thoughts on, on the paralytic or chapter two? Um, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, chapter three, we get this man with a withered hand and this is all around the Sabbath. What, what was the purpose of the Sabbath? Why, why did God give us the Sabbath? Yeah. It's a time to rest time for restoration even. Yeah. Like it's, it's restorative. And so when Jesus healed this man's hand, He's actually fulfilling the Sabbath's purpose because it's restorative. He's restoring mm-hmm. this guy's hand. The re- religious leaders aren't happy about it, right? And it's like they've they've forgotten the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. So I I think something maybe to admire about the the Pharisees is that their commitment to the law and trying to make sure that like their commitment to the text is almost unmatched. Yeah. Like if I had even like half their commitment to the text. I mean, that'd be amazing. But like you said, they miss the point. They're so concerned with not disobeying the law with obedience that they've missed the point of what all of this is trying to do, right? It's trying to restore creation. It's trying to be focused on loving others too, right? It's not just obedience. It's also loving others. Yeah, And if we're just legislating ourselves to like the nth degree, then we're perhaps missing out on something really important. Yeah, that's good. Um, it kind of makes you think about like, what, what's the difference between the Pharisees and the Herodians? Yeah, so the the Pharisees and the Herodians, um, the Pharisees are like the, oh, here's culture and we're going to go and we're going to be completely anti-culture. So we have all of, like this is our religion, mm-hmm. this this is Judaism. This is the the law. This is what we have to follow. And then the Herodians are like, well, yeah, we can follow that, but we also have all of these Greek and Roman influences. And we really like being Greek and Roman because we get wealth and we get power and we get all of these other cool things. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like on one hand you have the Pharisees are, are the religious and the Herodians are the irreligious. Mm-hmm. I like Jesus offends them both. Yeah. You know, and so when you're talking about the Pharisees, I, I appreciate what you said about, like we can sometimes paint them just only in a negative light, but seeing mm-hmm. like, let's commend them for their commitment to the text. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, so we're in Revelation right now on Sundays and you have these letters to the seven churches. And um, and so this week we're going to zoom in on Ephesus, which is all head, no heart. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the church has become the Pharisees. Right. But Jesus doesn't like condemn them for their, for their head knowledge. He's not mm-hmm. like, you shouldn't do, you shouldn't be that serious about the Bible. He's like, yeah. like no, like, be serious about the Bible, but be serious about others. Yeah. You know, and, um, and, the, and the later what we'll see is like other people are, are more serious about others, but not serious about the Bible. And so mm-hmm. it's like, so, so I think I, I love, like, I love, I appreciate what you said there is like, let's not 
throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, right. yeah, so yeah. Let's, let's commend them where they need to be commended, but let's recognize where they fell short and realize, like, even as the church today, like that's still one of our biggest struggles is to be all head, no heart. So it's not yeah. miss our heart for others. I almost wonder if there's that element of because they know so much about the text, and even though they've missed the point, all they needed was just to reorient their perception so that they could see and empathize with people yeah. versus having like somebody who's totally bought in on sin or like bought in on the Roman empire. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's easier for the the Pharisee. There's more potential here. And that's who he picked from for his disciples. Like yeah. th- this group of people, that's where they lived up in, up in the Galilee. Yeah, that's good. Um, something, man, I wasn't planning on diving this deep into this part, but something that's interesting is like, how do you get to the point where you're all head, no heart? And, um, and sometimes I think it can come down to truth mm-hmm. and like, how do you view truth? And so if truth is a philosophical system, if it's religious beliefs, if it's like a, a box to understand, um, it can become cold mm-hmm. and it's not transformative. Right. Um, but in John 14, six, what did Jesus say? He says, I am the way, the truth, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so Jesus, when he talks about truth, he doesn't define it as a system, mm-hmm. um, but as a person as right. himself. And so I think like, the way that we can keep ourselves from becoming pharisaical, the way that we can can not be so caught up in the text that we miss a heart for people is to understand scripture, not as just something to understand and to master mm-hmm. um, and to try to follow, but to understand it as a, a way of relating and to knowing God in a, rela- a mm-hmm. personal way. And so when we, yeah. we see truth as a person to know and to experience, that's where we we can connect the dots to 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 have the right head knowledge, but also to have the proper heart towards, towards others. So yeah. I should probably say that on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Good um, thing it's recorded. Anyways, um, chapter four, um, the big, the big story, here's the storm. Like Jesus calms the storm. Like the, the disciples are in the boat. The wind comes down. It's a massive storm. They're freaking out. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. He's like passed out. And they're like, wake up. <laughs> like we're yeah. going to die. And he's like, huh? What? Ah, be still, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I, I love the story, but I, I think something's interesting to me that I was, I was reading about is the language is, is almost identical to Jonah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, back in Matthew, a question came in, they said like, what's the sign of Jonah? What's going on there? So I didn't answer it in Matthew. Maybe we can answer it yeah. here. Um, because the language is almost identical to Jonah in Matthew. Um, Jesus says that he's the true Jonah or he's, he's a sign of Jonah. So here's what we need to know. Um, someday, Jesus is going to calm all the storms. Um, and so like, so we have to understand like Jesus, like we see with the storms is Jesus, even though he's with us and even though he loves us, he will allow us to go through storms in life. Mm-hmm. You know? And so we have to understand like, just because we know Jesus doesn't mean we get an easy life. Right. So he will allow us to go through storms, but Jesus is going to calm all storms. He's going to still all waves. He's going to destroy destruction. He's going to break brokenness. He's going to kill death. How, like how, how do we know that he'll do that? Because on the cross, like Jonah, he was thrown into the storm. He was in, under the, the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. He, he's thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, which is the storm of, of eternal wrath. And in that storm was not calmed until Jesus was swept away. So like, so the storm in Jonah wasn't calmed until they threw Jonah overboard. So like the storm of God's wrath towards sin isn't, isn't resolved, isn't, isn't done away with until Jesus is taken to the cross. And so Jesus didn't abandon us in the ultimate storm. Like at the cross, he did, he didn't take him out. He was like, all right, God, like I'm yeah. like, he was like, all right, angels come and take me up. You know, like, all right, yeah. you know, like if, if you are the son of God, like why did you call the angels down? He, right. he, he didn't abandon us there. And that gives us confidence. Like if he's not going to abandon, abandon us in the ultimate storm, like we should have confidence. He's not going to abandon us in the other storms of life either. So, mm-hmm. so I think we should take great comfort. In yeah. that. So anything else in chapter four jumped out to you or? Yeah. I always love the, the parable of the mustard seed um, as a, you know, the kingdom coming and it starts out so small, like mm-hmm. the, what the movement that Jesus ended up starting started so small, but it's growing. Right. Yeah. And so what looks like is really insignificant, like the push against evil, the trying to push and, restore creation, right? The work that we're participating in seems so small, but we know that ultimately it's going to grow and it's continuing to grow even now. Yeah. And it'll be a huge tree. Like it says, birds can even rest on the branches of the, yeah. that plant. 
Yeah, I, lo- I love like so much of, of Jesus' parables play on the fact of things that are seemingly small and insignificant having a major impact and growing to be much mm-hmm. larger than we could ever imagine. Yeah. Um, so that gets us to chapter five. And there's this demon-possessed man. It's a, it's a crazy story. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he's 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 feeling tortured, he's naked, he's in yeah. chains, he's isolated from others, he's crying out in agony. And, uh, and what does Jesus do to this guy? Yeah, he heals him and he restores him. Yeah, like an incredible story. And so um, so I think I, I, um, in Tim Keller's preaching book, um, where he's talking about how we want to preach Jesus from every text, he, he always wants to make sure we get deeper into like what's going on here. And he's like, we could take that story and preach that like, hey, whatever your chains are, like your your depression, your anxiety, your your struggles, like Jesus can heal you mm-hmm. from them. Like in the same way that he restored this man, he can restore you, which is a, a great application. That, right. that message will preach. Yeah. Um, but what he's de- what, what Keller does in the preaching book is he shows you like, hey, here's a way to take it a step further, where he says this story is actually about us. And he's like, this stuff, his stuff, the demon possessed man, is more publicly exposed, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the picture. Um, of the his the what he is showing us is a picture of our spiritual condition. Like that's who we are. Like our spiritual condition tortures us. It shames us. It 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 chains us. It isolates us. Like that that's all. It it ultimately is destroying us. So um, that's our spiritual condition. So the story is more than Jesus just healing him from physical problems. It's about how Jesus uh, how Jesus heals us from something even bigger. Like I said, the whole the whole kingdom yeah, aspect. Yeah, yeah. And so here's the way that Tim Keller says says it. He says the reason Jesus could forgive this man is because at the end of Jesus's life we see Jesus stripped naked, Jesus as a prisoner, Jesus isolated isolated and crucified outside the gate. Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus is able to heal the the, the um, demoniac because he ultimately switched places with him. And so this is how Jesus is ultimately going to heal us. This is how Jesus, Jesus is ultimately going to bring us into the kingdom. He's mm-hmm. going to switch places with us. He's going to become what we are or, and take what we deserve upon himself. And so he was thrown into the deepest despair um, of God's wrath so that we could know the deepest amounts of God's love and forgiveness. And so I, I, love, I love that. I, kind of, I botched that quote. It's like how Jesus ultimately heals us and forgives us is he's our substitute. Jesus was stripped so we could be clothed. Um, he was thrown into the deepest despair so we can know God's love and forgiveness. So just I think a beautiful way of seeing that story is like, don't just read that as some crazy man. Be like, that's a picture of who I am spiritually. Yeah. And that's a picture of what Jesus became so that mm-hmm. I might have true freedom and entrance into the kingdom. So right. I thought that was good. Um, kind of think kind of moving on, we get to chapter seven and, um, and it really lays out the difference between like this outside in cleansing, like morality of trying to clean ourselves up versus mm-hmm. like what Jesus comes to do, which is an inside out cleaning. Any, any, any thoughts on chapter seven with that? Yeah. Isn't this where it's like, um, you clean the inside of the pot and as you clean the inside, it, it cleanses the outside as well. Right. So it's like getting out all the gunk from the inside, like also, improves the outer appearance. Yeah. It's like doing the work on the inside, changing how my my mind is set on others, how I'm thinking about others, how I'm engaging with Christ and changing my heart to be softer towards people. Yeah. Then I don't have to pretend like I care, right? Because yeah. I actually do care or I'm I'm actually changing. I'm not just putting on a face. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah, for, for me, the, this was such an instrumental chapter when I was in college because what we see is like, there's all these external things that people are doing and Jesus is like, look, it's not like the external stuff that corrupts you. It's internal. So like sin is just, it's deeper than the things that we do. It's, it's like who we are. It's mm-hmm. like, it's a spiritual condition that we need yeah. healing from. And so I think about like the Pharisees, they, they had their checklist of stuff. They could mark the right boxes mm-hmm. um, and that people would be like, oh, look at them. They look so beautiful on the outside. Right. And we can clean ourselves on the outside and look great and still be distant from God. Mm-hmm. And so what Jesus is coming to do is, is to, to take care of the internal problem, the sin problem, which says the, the bigger issue. The, like this, this all flows yeah. out from the kingdom principle we brought, brought right. in at the beginning. And so for me, it's like, man, how much of my Christianity was, if I'm maintaining these right check boxes, did I read my Bible? Did I go to church? Have I shared my faith? Have I tithed? Then thinking like, if I'm doing those things, then God's happy with me. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm not feeling like God's so disappointed and like, right. so my, my, my feeling of God's love towards me was so much of like, it just vacillated 
realizing like, oh, but like what Jesus does, he's coming to take care of something internally, which, is, which isn't about what I can do. Mm-hmm. It's about what he can do. Which is what it means to that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, right? right. Like that ultimate yeah, yeah. rest. And so, like, so this 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 was so transformative for me to realize. You, know, you can swing that pendulum the wrong way and then become like antinomian, like it doesn't matter what I do, mm-hmm. but it, or you can let it truly be transformative, which means like, hey, when Jesus begins to transform me from the inside out, obedience becomes not something you have to do, but something you long to do. Right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, chapter eight. Um, here's a question: <laughs> When Jesus heals the blind man. Why did it take two tries? Any thoughts on that? Like, it's like, ah, they kind of look like trees. Like, let me try again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Man, that was me spitting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm not too sure. Like, it is weird. It's like, hey, here's a little bit of sight. Okay. Is it working? Like, I almost wonder if there's maybe like a testing of faith. Yeah. It's like, do you trust that what I'm doing for you is good? Yeah. Like, would he have been? I would. Um, would the blind man have been happy even just seeing people like trees? Right? Yeah. But then Jesus is coming, stepping in again, and saying, "I'm gonna bring like ultimate yeah. something like I'm gonna bring it to completion." Yeah. Um, I heard a pastor use this as as the reason why. Like, so he does he does them every Sunday. He does the close your eyes, say this prayer. Thing, which oh, I've, I've done a handful of times, you know, uh-huh. um, but this is like, that's just their church's weekly rhythm. And so mm-hmm. every week um, they count how many salvations they had. And so it's like this week, you know, a hundred people gave life to Christ this week, 200 people. And, um, and, and so I was like, well, what if like someone just keeps raising their hand? Like, and you just keep counting them. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, this is like the story of Jesus. He's like, sometimes it takes a couple times to set in. <laughs> I, yeah. Like, I don't know if that's the proper application of it. Yeah. Um, for me is like, I just, as I was, as that question brought up was brought up, I, I, I had a little note in my Bible margin. So at one point, um, I read this and I wrote down: sometimes healing takes time. And mm-hmm. so I don't. For for me, I almost think like I think it's like I'm not sure why, but I think there is a comfort in knowing like, hey, sometimes like we want immediate gratification, but sometimes healing takes time. Which I think um, I'm an advocate of of good counseling um, because sometimes I think it's like I just want this addiction to go away. I want this. I want this need to go away. And it's like you know sometimes like it is healing happens immediately. Sometimes like it's a journey of doing things again and again and again mm-hmm. until you develop new rhythms and God will ultimately bring healing, but it comes through a process. And so for me, like I, I, I at one point I read that as sometimes healing takes time and that should be comforting. So yeah. I, I'm not sure. I don't know if I have the right answer to it, but sure. that, those are, I think your response makes complete sense to me. Mine at one point provided comfort for me with it. So yeah. I'm just going to ask people to raise their hand to the Sunday. <laughs> well, we're starting to count every Sunday from yeah. now on. Can we, can we keep a count how many people get saved? Um, all right. But then chapter eight, like I said, two halves. The first half is who is Jesus trying to figure out that question. The second half is what did he come to do? Um, and so in chapter eight, we have this hinge. So, so how is the question, who is Jesus? How is it, how is it ultimately answered? That Jesus is the Christ. Who says it? Um, isn't that the centurion? It was Peter. Peter. Yeah, Peter. Peter. Yeah, yeah. He's like, who okay. do people say that in? Peter's like, you're the Christ. He's like, get behind me, Satan. At least that's what it says in Matthew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the turning point. Like Jesus, Jesus. Finally, we have the answer. It's like, hey, all these right. miracles were helping us to see that Jesus was the one the Old Testament was pointing towards. He's the ultimate fulfillment of of every miracle is showing us that he is the the one to come. Like he's the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, this is Jesus. And and so now there's going to be a shift um, to, to Jesus beginning to march towards the cross, which is really interesting. Like you think about Jesus's ministry, like half of Mark focuses in on like over two and a half years of Jesus's life. Mm-hmm. And then the next half focuses in on like one week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so we've covered a ton of ground. It's like, now let's just take the rest of the time to talk about this mm-hmm. last week. Um, but uh, what's something I think is interesting. Just, so, this is, this is so big for me last, last summer when I was on sabbatical is when Jesus calls people to take up their cross. Um, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and tape, take up his cross and follow me. Then he says, for whoever, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And so I've always thought of that as like, I'll die for Jesus. You know, like that, that's kind of like, yeah. like, it's like this, like I think when I was in youth, even for like most that. of my 
Christian life. Becoming like, yeah. a martyr. Yeah, it's like, like I'm willing to die for Jesus. But it, for the first time, um, maybe I maybe I heard this and just never sank in. We here's something that's, that's interesting. We grow not linearly. Like we don't get on a on a conveyor belt and push you forward like hard. Let me grow you in Jesus. Like we yeah. grow with like a need to know, need to grow basis. Right. So I could tell you about the Trinity, like multiple times over the course of of um, being at Redeemer, and and like it just be like yeah, the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And but one day you might encounter a Jehovah Witness. And they're like, Jesus isn't God. And you're like, Pfft. they're like, you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Like, wait. And like, and all of a sudden, like you're in a position where you need to grow or you need to know, and then you grow. And it's sure. like, so yeah, for yeah. me, like maybe I heard this before, but last summer I was in a need to know, need to grow situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was, I was wrestling with um, just being exhausted and trying to find rest and like being like, why can't I rest? And, um, and I was thinking about traveling and there's something about when when Lucy and I travel that I, I feel like I can finally rest. And it's like it's like a supercharger. It it, re, it really rejuvenates me and gives me energy to go forth. But there's like it's it's one thing to take a vacation and stay home, but for me to like get out of town. And I was wrestling with why. Mm-hmm. Like why is it that when I get out of town? And what I found is is this word life here. Um, there's three different Greek words for life. So bios, do you know what that means? Like physical life. Like, yeah, like I'm breathing, I'm yeah. alive. Um, then Zoe or Zoe, Zoe, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I, I, yeah, I, I took Greek. <laughs> I should know this. But it's, it means like eternal life with God. Yeah. Or it's a cool drink that The Rock sponsors, yeah. an energy drink. Um, but then there's suke, which, do you know what like what word we get from that word? Um, isn't that like? Psychology. Yeah, psychology. Right? So so that word means like your soul or your identity, your personality, your selfhood. Mm-hmm. And so what I found is um, when I leave Johnson City and I go travel, it's like I lose my identity as a pastor. It's mm-hmm. like no one like I don't I don't I'm not like a heathen. I don't go and like I'm not no one knows I'm a right. pastor. Give me the alcohol. You know, it's like I'm I'm still a Christian. I still follow Christ, but yeah. like, but no one knows me as the pastor. Right. And yeah, so yeah. and so I, what I realized last summer is like I think so much of my identity can be wrapped up in being a pastor at Redeemer Community Church that it's exhausting. That's my that's my selfhood. That's my identity. That's and like so if I'm trying to find myself in my suke, mm-hmm. if, if in my and in, in what the world can provide or what I can find through my job, um, I'm gonna lose my life. I'm gonna mm-hmm. feel exhausted. I'm gonna feel I'm gonna feel yeah. like. But if I find my life in Christ or if I find my identity in Jesus, that the most important thing about me is not my job or my status in life or my, you know, whatever we find identity in, but mm-hmm. in Christ that frees me. And so, so realizing like, that's the, so like for me last summer, it's realizing like, Hey, that like, what does it mean to lose your life? It means to like, it means to stop trying to gain your identity through the things that this world offers and start finding it in what Christ offers. Um, and so that's, a, that was a big, Big moment for me is realizing yeah, what it means absolutely. to lose my life. Not yeah. not like I'll die for you, um, which mm-hmm. I would if I right. had to. Yeah. But realizing like no, it means like hey, God, Jesus is calling us to stop trying to find our worth and identity in the things of this world and to begin to discover it through what He provides through the cross. And so, mm-hmm. anyways, anything else in chapter eight for you? Mm-mm. So then now next half, yeah, chapter nine through sixteen, um, chapter nine. Transfiguration. We talked about that in Matthew. Um, mm-hmm. So, so Jesus goes up on the mountain. Who does who does he bring up on the mountain? Yeah, Peter, James, and John. Yeah, and so I love like they get to experience just the fullness of Jesus's glory, and mm-hmm. it's like one thing if I told you like or what? What's your favorite restaurant? Oh gosh, you know. I don't know that I would have said this before now, but because you said it and I'm remembering how good it is, I think I would choose Freiburg's. All right. So so let's say that you're like, Jeff, you've got to get, what's what's the rolled out chicken? Is it schnitzel? or what? Schnitzel, schnitzel, yeah. It's the best Not ever. the pork? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, not me. I know I know what Mark 7 says, but I'm, <laughs> not for me. I don't, like, I don't like the pig. Not because I'm Jewish, just don't like it. Um so if you're like, it's the best ever, dude, like this one thing for me to hear, it's nothing for me to go taste it. Yeah. And so, and so that experience is, it's not, it's not that you have new information, 
it's that you have a new experience. So for them, like they, they, they have the information of who Jesus is. He's the Christ, but now they're having this experience and it's like almost, they need that experience for what they're about to face. Mm-hmm. Um, but meanwhile, as, as they're up on the mountain, experience this and Peter's like, do you want to make some tents? Like I'd love to camp out here forever. Yeah. Um, who's not on the mountain? All the rest of the disciples. Yeah. Which is, which is also interesting thinking about like, if I was to ask you like, who is on the mountain? We kind of we can roll off Peter, James, and John. Uh-huh. I was like, who are the other disciples? It's like, uh, it's like Matthew. Let me, let me go through the Thomas, the children's church, Judas, song. the bad Judas, the good Judas. Like, yeah. but they don't flow off of us, right? Yeah. Um, and, but it's, it's interesting. So these other disciples, I, I I was wondering that once again, morning jog thoughts. What if the early? What if the other disciples didn't feel important? Like, what if they're like? Peter, James, and John get to go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like if I, if I was like, you know, like I, uh, their staff team, I was like, Carter, like um, you and you and Brian want to go get barbecue. Like, it'd be like, are they his favorites? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so I wonder if they felt insignificant. So while they're up on the mountain, it's like the other disciples, it, it's almost like they're trying to cast out a demon. And I wonder if their motivation wasn't, so I don't know this, but I was, I was wondering, sure, yeah. was their motivation to try to prove themselves to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Like, were they down the mountain being like, I mean, we're not as important as Peter, James, and John. So like, how do we, we need to do something so that Jesus thinks like they yeah. too are worthy. And, um, and they can't cast out the demon. And and Jesus basically says like, hey, this can only be cast out by much prayer. He's basically saying like, hey, you need you need more of me. You need more of my, my power, my strength, more, more of my father. And so it's almost like Jesus saying like, hey, entrance into this kingdom or, or participation in this kingdom isn't about your performance. Um, it's, it's not about what you can do. It's, it's about like just being with me in such a way that I can work through you. And so, so mm-hmm. I almost feel like this, this miracle now isn't to reveal who Jesus is as much as it is now. There's like a shift that the miracles are to teach them something more about, about him and how right. they're, how they're to participate in the kingdom. So just yeah. a morning musing. Is that the word I'm looking for? Is that a thought? Yeah, that sounds so. right. Musings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, my vocabulary is not that big, and sometimes I try to sound smart. It goes bad most of the times. That's <laughs> all right. Um, speaking of, yeah. So, complete side note in the Old Testament, I made a comment where I said sloppy seconds, and I had someone that's behind the podcast catch up, and they're, they're like, hey, I think you don't know what that means, which I didn't. Oh, no. And so, um, so just to, if you're listening now and you heard that back then, I apologize. Like, like that was just a, I, I had no clue. I was thinking like sloppy wet kiss by David, David Crowder. Like nothing, yeah, nothing sure. in my mind was thinking of, um, of something slang for, uh, inappropriate stuff. So yeah, my bad. That's what mm. I get for trying to sound cool <laughs> when I'm not. So I can't be hip anymore. Yeah. Like someone's like, you got to work in the word riz into a sermon. Like, what does riz mean? Like, I'm like, I'm just, I don't even know. Yeah. So I'm, I can't tell you. I just need to not try to work slang into stuff. Yeah. Um, so chapter chapter ten, um, verse forty five. Do, do you know what that says? Yeah. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah. So I think like that word for is substitute. Like it's in, in place of. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and so once again, that kind of brings back to chapter five. Yeah. Um, it's like Jesus. This is Jesus taking our place. And so mm-hmm. Jesus, is like, hey, I, I I didn't come to be served. Like I I didn't come to to, um, he's like, I, I didn't come to rule like earthly rulers rule. I came to give my life away. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I came to, to, to live the life you couldn't live, to die the death you deserved. Like I'm going to take the penalty you deserved so that you can have the life, um, that I've earned. And so this, this kind of brings us all the way back to the baptism, which mm-hmm. for me, like the baptism is so important because Jesus in the water, like he didn't sin. So why did he get baptized? Like, why would he need a baptism of repentance or cleansing? if he didn't have anything to repent of or anything to be cleansed of, well, he's, he's identifying with us. Like, so in the water, he's basically saying, God, like I identify with sinners. I will take their sin so they can take my righteousness. Mm -hmm. And I'm, so it's, it's him saying like, I'm taking their place. And, um, and so when we get baptized, it's almost a reversal of that where we're saying, um, I'm with Jesus. He has taken my sin so that I could take his righteousness. And so now we get to 1045 and it seems like the completion. Here's what that looks like. Jesus is going to, die in our place. He's going to take the penalty we deserved so that we could have eternal life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, that's a big moment of this kind of servant leadership of Christ. Yeah. It's a like continual humiliation, right? Not in the like being embarrassed, but in the like be, being humble, right? That, yeah. Cause like even with the baptism, right? It, I would assume that you know, like Jesus, if he hadn't done it, not doing it because he didn't have anything to repent or be cleansed from, 
Like it could have been seen as being very prideful. And so in the like humility of identifying with people like us, yeah, there's, there's a, a beauty in that. Yeah, that's good. Um, chapters 11 and 13 get to the, the fig tree and its relation to the temple which we, we covered in depth last week in Matthew, so I'm not going to rehash that. Mm-hmm. Um, chapter 12, the great commandment, which is, how would you summarize the great commandment? Yeah, love God and love others. Love others, which is which kind of gets us back to the whole Pharisee, yeah. um, Herodian type, yeah. type contrast, like, hey, a, a true love for God, um, knowledge of God through Scripture that, that's transformative is, should flow out into a love for others. Yeah. Um, then... Any other, any other thoughts on that before we move on? Um, no. All right. Yeah. We, we could we could we could spend a whole podcast just on that. Yeah. Um, so chapters fourteen and fifteen, like things are coming to an end for Jesus's life, and um, he's betrayed, he's arrested. Um, you get Peter with the sword. Um, mm-hmm. When I when I was younger, there was a song. There's a band called Cademan's Call that like I really loved, and they had a song like I can see Peter putting away his sword. Have you ever heard yeah. that song? I I think I've heard. Anyways, of it. Like, I don't know if I've listened that to that imagery the of the sword, like Jesus. Like uh, yeah. anyway, so Peter cut <laughs> cutting the ear off. Uh, I think I think what's the guy's name that's like the crazy Catholic that made the Passion movie? Mel Gibson. Uh, Is that yeah, Mel Gibson. Was, yeah. Braveheart Mel versus current Mel, different dudes. Uh, like I think he portrayed that really well in the passion. Like yeah, I, I, sure. I appreciated that. But so, the, but someone made a comment. It was it was it came in the form of a question, but more of a comment. Like, does the Bible have someone streaking? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, maybe think of the the Will Ferrell movie Old School. Like we're going streaking, going to the quad. Um, like and so like, but I think like there's something really important. Like that's not just a random thing. Do you, like, any thought? Who do you think that is? Uh, Mark. John Mark. Right? I've heard some people say John Mark, um, the, the author. Other people said maybe John. Sure. Um, from um, the the one that Jesus loved. I, I, uh-huh. Someone's running naked. Yeah. Um, and but what's interesting is is the garden that they're in, the Garden of Gethsemane, um, is a test for the disciples. And the disciples, it's like they they fail the test, and then we have a picture of someone running away naked. So. Is that just a, a funny comment, you know, or is there something deeper there? And so when you think about it, um, it reminds us of another garden, the Garden of Eden, where people were given a test, they failed. They were exposed and naked, and they fled away in shame. Yeah. And so now, centuries later, there's another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, another test, everybody fails, and it's capped off by someone feeling or fleeing in naked shame. So I think, I think it's like, this is, this is kind of pointing us to something there. Um, mm-hmm. Then chapter 16, the resurrection. It's awesome. Like Jesus comes back in um, the, the first day of new creation. Yeah. Um, and so something that stood out to me in, in Mark's account for me, like, and, and so it's just verse seven where it's like, go tell the disciples and Peter. And um, what did Peter do a couple chapters earlier? Yeah. He denied Jesus three times. Like had to felt like the biggest failure in the world. Oh Yeah. And so, um, I and maybe this is right, maybe this is wrong. But a couple of years ago, we preached through Mark, um, eight years ago, and uh, and one of the commentators I was reading called this the Peter nod. And he mm-hmm. said, like, you know, the fact that Peter gets the nod, it's like, why? It's like he probably felt like the biggest failure. Yeah, he was probably beating himself up more than anybody else. And so, just, this should be comforting for us because, like, no matter how much we failed, no matter how much we feel like we've disappointed Jesus, we need to realize, like, if we are in Christ, there's nothing we can do to outsend His grace. Right. And um and so we should take great comfort that, that Jesus gives us the nod, like, hey, I'm I'm still for you. I want to restore you. I want mm-hmm. I think I'm not done with you. Um so any other thoughts to, to sixteen? Um yeah, well I almost is it is it John that talks about the like restoration, like restoring Peter to his position. Yeah, we'll get to that. I love, I, got yeah, love, yeah. I, I was thinking about that. I was like, do I want to go deeper into it? Yeah, so I wonder John, if it's I'd, kind of playing off that a little bit. Yeah. It's like a little bit of hand in hand. Yeah. Well, John's not a synoptic. 90% no, of John is not contained in the other three gospels. Right. So, yeah. Um, here's a question. <laughs> what do we do with verses nine through 20? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I've heard and is concerning, like if, if this is for Romans, sp- primarily a Roman audience, right? It's going back to the idea that 
this is not an approved religion. Does it like understand like claiming that Jesus is king, yeah. is Lord, quite literally would get you killed. Yeah. And so it's like the ending with verse eight where they leave bewildered, right? Um it's like I wonder if it's conveying this like, yeah, we understand this is I understand if Mark Mark is saying, I understand what this is like. I'm like all of the stuff that's been revealed. I understand what it's like to come to the realization that things aren't what you thought they were. Yeah. And it's scary. It's scary to think that I'm going against culture and what is considered legal in, in the world. Yeah. So my mind sometimes jumps around, but when you talk about reminding us about it, if this was to Romans, what's interesting is the first person that calls Jesus son of God is who? Uh, the centurion, yeah, the, Romans, the, the Roman soldier, yeah. yeah. So, um, so I know some of that. So nine through twenty has some crazy stuff, um, and so most scholars seem to believe that it's a, a later addition to Mark, um, and so it seems like as we find more copies, um, and even copies that are closer to the the events of the cross, it seems like most of them don't have it. Um, but then later mm-hmm. copies do, yeah. and um, and then some earlier copies do. So it's like it's like I don't know. Like, is it is it in the original Bible or is it not? It seems like so. My Bible is like this isn't found in the best and earliest manuscripts. Mm-hmm. So I would say like I would read it with caution. Like, so I yeah. personally, I wouldn't read verses nine through twenty and build any doctrine or theology that can only be built off of those verses. So if you sure. can find it in other places and build it, like fine. Yeah. But like, don't I, I wouldn't take these verses. But like, let's go handle some snakes, Carter. Like de venom uh-huh. those things so I don't get killed, but like let's let's bring some snakes on Sunday morning. Yeah. It's like Mark sixteen. Like no, like I would say <laughs> and it doesn't command him to take up snakes. Like if you do, like God will protect you, but it's it's not saying like go pick up snakes. But yeah, yeah so I'd say like it doesn't seem to be that that is in the original mm-hmm. scripture. I know our Bible still include it, but um I would read it with caution. Just I wouldn't read it with the same authority as the rest mm-hmm. of, of Mark personally, but um, it doesn't, that doesn't mess me up with the Bible. I'm not like, is the yeah. Bible not near it now? Like, like I just think, I just think the original copies wouldn't contain it. So. Sure. I wonder if there's like a, it's like the beauty of leaning into an ending that's not complete yet. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, that's why I like ending at verse eight. Yeah. So, that, so it's like there's something that isn't finished yet, but it will be. Yeah. So I, I like that verse eight just in so abruptly and awkwardly. It's almost like it's Mark's way of saying the story's not over because mm-hmm. you're meant to be a part of it. Yeah. Go and continue this. So, well, C- Carter, a lot of stuff. Yeah. We couldn't cover it all, but hopefully that provides some nuggets to help people along the way. Yeah. So, all right. Appreciate you hanging out. And um, I'll be back with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Next week. And we're, we're not going Luke. We're going John. Okay. And that way, that way we can go Luke straight into Acts. So, okay. so like yeah, kind of yeah. Luke is like, um, Acts is like Luke part two. Mm-hmm. So um, so we're going to do John. Um, we're getting into John, and after we finish John, we'll jump into Luke and then Acts. So, just to, yeah. so if you're reading along with us, John is next. All right, signing off. Yeah.